You're listening to the Enneagram and Marriage Podcast. I'm your host, Krista Harden, and I'm so glad you showed up for our relationship chat today, as well as for you and your people. We're all about living intentionally here so you can experience joy and balance in your relationships once again or for the very first time. Be sure you hang with us on our social media platforms. And if you like research like I do, make sure you check out our website at enneagramandmarriage.com for our weekly newsletter, freebies, and so much more, as well as at Instagram and Facebook. We have so many goodies to share with you. Let's dive right in together. Hello today. I am so grateful that you are joining us for this special episode of the ENM Pod where we get to talk to Sarah Billups about something very close to many of our hearts, orphaned believers, her new book, and also the concept of walking through hard spaces of faith together. I know many of you are believers, many of you are seekers, some of you are agnostics or atheists, but thank you for tuning in with us today as we process what it's like to walk through cultural woes and sorrows of faith when we are trying so hard to hang on. I can't think of a better person than Sarah Billups to walk through this with us, not only because of her poetic rhythms in her four space, but also because she has the gift of sharing from such a particular lens of life loss. Uh, she's got a beautiful accessing of her five that you'll see here. So she gives us the the history of a lot of church processes in the world and in America. And she really invites us into a faith life that is grounded in Christ and not a faith that is grounded in all of the sometimes toxic practices of these cultures or even well-intentioned or well-meaning practices of the culture that have fallen flat or hurt people or marginalized people. So I am so grateful. I cannot tell you how much this episode means to me. Yes, we're in that affectionately dubbed Are You There, God? It's Me, Krista series of spirituality and and fill in the blanks with your name. But we are really diving in uh, this week, especially. We're going to postpone our type one episode we're don't worry ones we are coming back for you but just to make sure we have an extra well-rounded week we're talking with Sarah today we're going to be talking with Aaron Jean Ward this Wednesday about addiction so stick around this whole month as we are diving deep into conversations that are often forgotten in spiritual corners of the world and uh, of course many of us need these conversations to happen because if they don't we won't have as much access to our own faith uh, or at least faith communities. And we desperately need community, as we know. So Sarah's going to give us help for how to have community, even when you have struggles, doubts, hurts from the church. Uh, she's going to walk us through at least some of these tips, but I definitely want you to grab, if you're in this camp with me at all ever, her book, Orphaned Believers. It's in the show notes along with her Substack information. And I'm just so grateful for the ways that she particularly can address heart wounds with us and also soul wounds with us in the in the space of spirituality. So anyway, let's welcome her right now. Sarah, we are so thankful and happy to have you on the Enneagram and Marriage pod today. Thanks, Krista. I'm so happy to be here. Ah, well, we have been delighted to review your beautiful book, Orphaned Believers. And today, in this whole month, we're taking this scope of just really focusing on spirituality. And we thought your book would be so perfect because we know so many are seeking and searching and some even just disillusioned by faith. So extra thanks to you and congrats on your book. 
Thank you. I'm uh, I'm so excited to talk Enneagram. Uh, it's something that I personally love, but I've done no podcast about. It's my first Enneagram related podcast. So I'm I am extra excited to, to have this conversation. Oh, I am too hearing that. And I've seen your beautiful Instagram posts and authenticity. And and so I'm hinting at her type, guys. Tell us about your type, your family, all that stuff. Yeah, sure. So I'm a, a Seattle-based writer. I've been in Seattle about 18 years, but I um I grew up in Indiana, so I'm from the Midwest and was a creative kid with a lot of a lot of feelings and really liked poetry and oh. and uh, really loved art and ideas. And it just took me a while to figure out what that would mean for me, but it ended up meaning, you know, writer. Wow. And um, it's it's been an interesting journey. So I wrote, I've written my whole life and I just had my first book, as you mentioned, Krista, come out, Orphaned Believers with Baker. Um, but my Enneagram is, is a four, which, you know, mm-hmm. surprises few people that know me. <laughs> That know me well. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, it is. It is not a shocker, and it's funny because I know that that fours are, um, if it was a pie chart, maybe a less less uh, popular part of the population. That sounded Correct. funny, but I, yeah. I don't. It, I feel like I know so many. So maybe we just find each other, yes. and that sort of happens. That makes so much sense that you have the connection so that you're like, there's a lot of fours out there and there are, but you're right on a scale. They're one of the lesser, what we know of types. Absolutely. So, but interestingly, so I I met my husband in college. I went to school in the Midwest. He's from Baltimore and he is a a very classic five. So we have the four five combination, which is really wonderful. We were reading years ago when we were first looking into Enneagram and learning our types. I think we read on the Enneagram Institute, the four or five mm. um, kind of relationship type. Yeah. And honestly, I think many people experience this, but it felt like somebody was sitting next to us looking mm. at our relationship together and like typing it out in real time. I mean, things like they may have different interests and perspectives, but have this whole unique kind of hidden world or, um, you know, in health, they have a lot of real kind of like creative energy and attention to ideas and conversations. So that certainly felt like us. And it also did, of course, in conflict. My husband's a thinker and he and I have a lot of feelings. And so you can imagine the sort of classic thinker versus feeler <laughs> conversation yes. tension. So we've had to work through that a lot over the decades. too. We've been oh. together a long time. Wow. I mean, we're just having beams of joy. At least I am. I hope the listeners are too, because we have not talked about this particular pairing and we have scoured the 45 pairings together. We have talked about it on air, but we have not had this pairing on air because I also believe this is a less common pairing that this pairing isn't seen a lot. So thank you for sharing the insides of you are sharing some of the shadows, but also some of the joys together. Yeah, absolutely. That's right. Yeah. I, uh, I love, I love our type combination. I wouldn't have it any other way. (laughs) Well, we have been so, I've been so literally just enjoying your book focused. I have been in my focus five space. There we go on your book, but I will tell you, we will be sending you your four or five glow pairing so that you can have our, awesome. uh, yeah, just even further tools for you. Yes. Our audience is so happy to get to 
to learn from you today. So uh, you shared about your marriage and you shared about your life, but what we're also talking about today is our life wrapped up in faith. So I love that in your book, you've done a careful history of religious culture and, and you've decided Christianity is the fit. And uh, with all the laments that come with it, all the joys, can you tell us a little bit about your journey spiritually? Oh, sure. Yeah. You know, I, uh, I'm in my mid forties. So I grew up, um, in the eighties and nineties in the evangelical church in the Midwest, like I mentioned. And, um, I grew up in my childhood was very much about going to church and, you know, vacation Bible school and youth group, but it was also kind of like we'd spend Saturday at the mall and Sunday at the service. So I had a really suburban kind of like middle-class American childhood. And I think that the, you know, the forces of, you know, just being an American and being a, a person that's really into um, kind of like living comfortably or, or being secure was certainly wrapped up in my experience growing up as well as, as well as learning about Jesus and my faith. And so my yeah. own particular story yeah. really revolves around my dad. And in the book, um, I talk a lot about our story together, yeah. but he was converted to Christianity from Judaism in the 70s, mm-hmm. which was a really big deal. His um, He was disowned from his family. It was very, very dramatic time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he um, and my mom had been together and married for six months. They were very young. They were in their early 20s. Their relationship ended quickly. My dad was really desperate. He went to a Bible study at a friend's house. Mm-hmm. And the way he talked about what happened after a couple of months was almost cinematic. It almost sounds like a movie, but he had this time when he was at his friend's house, they were studying the book of Daniel of all things. And he really just felt like the, he says he felt the Holy spirit come on him. He leapt over the couch, Mm. ran to the parking lot, fell on his face and, and became a Christian in that moment. And my mom ended up seeing him months later and didn't recognize him at first. His countenance had changed something, something about how he, Boris presence in the world had shifted. It was really beautiful, but it was also, but it was also complicated because so they, they got remarried and had me a few years later, but my dad was also, when he became a Christian, really interested in um, the rapture and like a lot of evangelical kids from the eighties and nineties. He was really influenced by um, the idea of Jesus returning quickly. And so the way that I was brought up as a Christian was really um, rooted in a lot of fear of the world ending. I mean, some of my earliest and strongest memories are about it. Um, and then also about loving Jesus. So it was complicated. So we we talk about that a little bit in, in the book. And then um, <clears throat> it wasn't until I was a little older, like I mentioned in high school and in college, when I began to kind of find a sense of myself and my creativity and began to understand that my identity as a Christian didn't have to be in conflict to my identity as a person that loved beauty and literature and ideas. And mm-hmm. I kind of found my own way forward and, and moved out to Seattle. So that's a little bit about the kind of earlier, earlier parts of my, my faith story. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And you guys, uh, many of you know what creative artists, of course we all can be, but that fours really uh, bring us in the world. And I just want to say, wow, you do this so well in your book and you really paint the picture. So many of our listeners are millennials or, uh, you know, really also in Gen X. I know you're right on that cusp. I noticed that as I was reading. One one foot in both. Yeah. Yeah. That's how I am too. And so I'm like, why does 
those books sound literally so familiar. Um, so I think a lot of our listeners will be delighted by that. Like, oh my gosh, like you brought up Cornerstone Conference and yeah, I know yeah. I was there because we're from Detroit and Wheaton oh, and, cool. you know, you brought up Wheaton and all these different places. And so I think that people will find it's not, <laughs> this is going to sound like a funny parallel, but Stranger Things-esque in terms of <laughs> the 80s throwbacks, but also yeah, like right. such delightful processing that you bring to uh, just like you said, these discrepancies, if you will, or, you know, beautiful ways that you've honored your dad's journey, but also said like this, there was a lot of fear. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that side of, I think people probably need to hear that, or maybe can relate to like growing up with so much fear as a Christian. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I mean, you know, the, so the book is, is split into three parts and the first is about end times culture. And I think even if you weren't an end times kid, there's a lot of interesting, um, kind of through lines that you can see today to conspiracy theories, or there's a, there's a lot of, um, we're kind of our political divides. There's a lot of interesting parallels that I think are rooted in that time. Um, but the second part of the book, the middle part is about culture wars. And that's really, um, I think where a lot of the fear set in, um, for us as Christians, it was really important to be set apart and to live differently. But in my experience growing up, instead of that being rooted in the teachings of Jesus that I think call us to live differently and to serve others and to, you know, have the last be made first. There was a sort of uh, energy and like a frenetic energy in being able to um, have different ways that as Christians, we were known. So we didn't shop at certain stores or we thought that, you know, we thought that Catholics maybe weren't really Christians or there were certain ways to be a Christian or we thought that certain issues that sound so silly now, you know, like um, for a while there was a big fear of backtrack backtracking on records where if you would play a record backwards, there'd be like a satanic message that would come up. And so, if, so of course, all of the kids I knew, like as soon as our parents left, went to the record player and tried it. So it's sort of <laughs> funny, but but really just that so many defining issues. And of course, that's where big issues like abortion came up um, for us. And yeah. my faith was defined by what I did or didn't believe and by politics um, as a kid, as much as it was about real spiritual formation, which I didn't find a lot of until I was a little bit older. Mm. But the, the fear also brought a sense of um, exceptionalism. There's this way in which if you think you know what's really happening, you know, like if you think that you know that the, that that Jesus will return in your lifetime. There's this sense of wanting to talk to your friends and family to make sure they know. Yeah. But also like this almost this power differential when you think that you know how things are going to go down. And that was a really interesting twist to mm -hmm. the fear. There was this fear, but also a sense of control because we already knew what was going to happen. Oh. So I think a lot of my adult life has been creatively and, you know, personally exploring the idea of control and and how to realize it's not that great to begin with. But I think that really has come up for me a lot as I've processed and continued my journey um, as a Christian. And so those are a, a couple of pieces that come up when I think about the fear that I had as a kid and how that really has played out for decades into my life. Oh, wow. And thank you for explaining that to us. Um the way you process culturally, I don't see that a lot in uh, books that are also relatable in the heart. And I think that that um, I know you obviously have that achiever wing too, but I see a lot of the five depths. And now I know you also have a husband who's a five. So I 
I like to conceptualize it with layers and the way we shine together and rub off on each other. So mm. I see that you delved in deep and I've heard the late, I believe it was the late Don Riso who said that that space, the four wing five space and almost that five wing four space too, because they're so close are some of the deepest spaces for processing. So I just want to let listeners know, like you're in for a rich treat when you get to hear the way that Sarah processes uh, from baby boomers and even before that to now to help us to have a little maybe more compassion for why we've come to this place in the, you know, here we're standing and talking about the 1980s, 90s. I think you're helping us to know why we even got there, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. You know, there's some things that I thought were always true that being a Christian meant these certain things. I mean, just looking back, it wasn't until, you know, Jimmy Carter in the seventies was a evangelical and he was a Democrat, you know, and it wasn't, I thought that Christians always believed a certain way about abortion or always voted along Republican lines. I mean, I'm really careful in the book to call all political parties into account that my interest is not about um, a certain political party, but there are interesting cultural, like if you yeah. zoom out ways that I think we've been formed, if we identify as Christians, if we grew up as evangelicals specifically, um, mm-hmm. that are connected to a lot of other bigger pieces in politics and in social issues and culture wars that I just wanted to understand. And so the whole mm-hmm. exploration of the book is looking back to, to look forward. And so mm-hmm. it was really important for me to not look back to burn it down or to not look back to sort of not to to leave folks discouraged or hopeless. But I I believe that when we bring, when we bring what's happened to the light, when we understand the nuance of our experience as a kid and how that connected to a lot of other pieces in the larger culture, there can be a real liberation or a real invitation to then move. If we identify as Christians to move back towards Jesus or to move towards a more wholehearted faith, whatever our story is, or however we identify, I think that there's a freedom that comes from looking back, and it doesn't have to be about um, uh, burning everything down, but about kind of bringing it full circle. So I really, I attempted to do that uh, with the book to leave folks with encouragement. Yeah. You did it beautifully. And I thank you personally, knowing there are couples, A, listening, but B, even the couples that I've walked through these, you know, deconstruction motifs with that are desperately seeking and often don't know how to do that. That's, they have other beautiful gifts, but this is your gift that you bring as a four is looking back, but then looking forward as you do your work and get in action. So we're really um, grateful for that. I also am processing all this as you say this as you are coming at it from a heart space and uh, you know, many listeners know we have the heart space, the body space and the thinking space and the Enneagram, but you know, almost living a parallel Midwest life to you graduating you 96, I was 97. Mm-hmm. I was like, you know, honestly, I approached it differently because I'm a thinking type, but similarly in the grand scheme of things. But I loved how, like, almost like I picture your process as, I don't know what biblical archetype you relate with sometimes, but like my own four daughter, who's a dancer, she recently danced the part of Mary Magdalene. And I thought she did it beautifully because she could embody the heart space so well. And almost like you threw yourself on the ground of faith, like, you know, charging in desperately trying to do it. Um, but then it almost feels to me like your five wing was like, wait, what are you doing? Yeah, that's <laughs> right. Anywhere oh, that's like that. Yeah, I think that um, so cool about your daughter and Mary. I think that my biblical character that I've always associated the most with is John the Baptist, just because he's so wild and carves his own way. So even as a kid, I've I've loved him. But um, but yeah, I had just one other thought when you were talking. I think that um, 
Yeah, I think that the idea of of um, looking at what went wrong or where we came up in the 80s and 90s and how our experience was, I mean, there's different parts of my, the way that I approach the book and I have this kind of creative, and, but you're right, I have a really logical, almost like a journalistic take or a really practical take where the research took a long time and I tried to be quite thorough. And so it does feel like an interesting meeting of those parts of me. And I'm just smiling as we're talking because I had not actually thought about, about that before this moment. But yeah, I think that interestingly, my personality manifested in how the, the book came out. So that's, I uh, and I oh, didn't think you. about it till now either, but I was like, just hearing you live, which to me, this is always helpful to like be with people because as a thinking type, I live in my head. So I'm like, no, this is good that you're seeing Sarah. Cause this, yeah, just came to me now too, that, um, you know, some of us, and this is why I think some of us who are five, sixes and sevens appreciate this kind of a book is we're always questioning, you know, we're Thomas, you know, we're just, you know, we're desperate. And so we're in the thinking removed space and we're like, wait, what? Like, there were people walking through this and my husband's a body type and he's closer to his heart. And so he related more like you and he, you know, threw himself into it. Whereas I was always like, what's going on? Like, I want to throw myself in, but the questions are always lurking. So for me, your book was just an invitation to get to be there with my questions and get to have even a few answers, which is always just, I mean, so moving for someone who wants a faith, but has a struggle there. <clears throat> Thank you. My goodness. Yeah, you mentioned your husband is, is a body type. And I actually was <laughs> that there is there was a physicality that I experienced writing the book. I would I would write a little bit in research and then I would just I'm down in my office, which is which is a mess right now, but I would just lay on the rug and just sleep with my head against the carpet for like half an hour. So the physicality, and this is I don't want to get off track, but the physicality of writing the book was very surprising to me. And there were many parallels to to birth. And I know that with your book, maybe you've experienced that in a different way, but it, that that's an interesting piece that just kind of came up as you're talking. It is. And I love that because I do believe like the foreign health does go to that one space, as you know, and gets very physical. So that just tells our listeners like this book is uh, balanced, you know, it has all elements of body, heart and mind. And I think that of course, like every book is uh, an offering to God and he has to meet us there, but I love how it's um, helping as a balm to our hearts here who are some of our listeners are like, no, faith is like so easy for me. And then we have opposite listeners who are like, tell me more, <laughs> like, tell me because I'm weeping at the way culture has painted Christianity. So maybe you can tell us a bit about uh, just some of the cautions that you've seen uh, within American culture or world culture that have maybe tainted our faith walk. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a great question. And it's hard to even, it's hard to even know where to begin. I think that, yeah. um, I think that the, the thing that I, I realized around 2016, so I, you know, I was a, so part of my story involves moving to Seattle and it was a complicated place to identify as a Christian. Um, and I didn't really understand why for a long time now looking back and thinking about, um, Mars Hill church and Mark Driscoll and things that were happening here in my city's culture, I can kind of see it more clearly in retrospect, mm -hmm. but I just walked through a really disorienting 10 or 12 years of what I call wandering through a spiritual desert where I just wasn't able to understand sort of the main idea. I would work in really cool jobs downtown and I wouldn't talk to my coworkers at all about, about my faith. I became really truncated and I'd go to church on Sunday and then I just spent the rest of my 
work week kind of living in Seattle and having a really great Seattle kind of coffee farmers market, you know, life. And those things are, I still, I certainly love. Um, but I think that for me, I, I began to finally around 2016, look around, um, no matter what you think about, about, uh, president Trump, you know, I just began to look around and see what that candidacy, how it kind of uncovered these deep divides. And then with the pandemic, I mean, you know, the list as well as I do thinking about, the um the death of, of George Floyd and and how the church was divided about about race issues or thinking about masks in the in the congregation there are just so many really heartbreaking and painful issues that made me realize I think it's worse than many of us understood our division and the other thing I'd say is personally I experienced the, the loss of relationship or the change of relationship with people I love because of political divide or difference or how we'd see someone show up on Facebook, whatever it may be. I don't know anybody that hasn't had some kind of relational loss or strain, be it a former pastor or a child or sibling, somebody that they're close to as a, in a friend and a friendship, um, you know, through these years. And so I just began to look around and see, I think it's worse than many of us thought. I want to look back and understand why, because we didn't just get here um, yeah. for no reason. And so so for me, it really, again, was about understanding culture war issues like abortion, single issue voting, and was certainly about understanding consumerism, which is what the last part of the book is about. I really look into um, the idea I think that we have that we can customize or personalize or sort of decide what kind of iPhone covers we want or what kind of jeans we want to wear or what we want for dinner. Like, I just wondered how the market kind of like got its way into the church and then thinking about things in big kind of mega churches that were really broken, like celebrity pastors and, and some other, um, some other places where I think that instead of humility, there's certainly been some real painful pieces, of course, abuse, um, and yeah. wanted to understand, you know, for me personally, what am, what am I doing? Like, am I building my life around something that is just broken or is there actually a compelling message in the person of Jesus? Is there, so, is there something to move towards? Um, mm. And so that the, the, the answer I kind of come to is, is I, I want to be well-formed. And I think we're called to, to be well-formed by the message of Jesus, which I think can change everything. Yeah. So interestingly, as that, as I walked through the book, I became more in love with Jesus and more compelled by that, that story um, and the other pieces around it. I just see how we do a really good job of messing things up <laughs> as the church sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. And you're like, you talk about, you know, being countercultural in healthy ways and how Jesus is countercultural in healthy ways and how you can move toward Jesus when you could also see these cultural wars, uh, don't belong to any one person, but that they've just, you know, there's been a, a long standing feud, even from the time of Jesus. And before that, where people have a lot of religious disparity and, and you're right. We have a lot of casualties and people who are left wanting. So, um, I was wondering if you think, uh, your dad's illness or anything else kind of moved you toward seeking, uh, a little bit more of this, uh, this, kind of coming together of even people who have a disparity, because I, I noticed that through your writing and that's frankly quite rare. Um, mm. I've lost both my parents. I was raised by a Democrat Catholic and a Republican Protestant. So I definitely get the sense of like, I have a unique perspective because, you know, 
even when my husband struggles and sets boundaries with his families, there's always this little part of me that's like, okay, but as much as I love and need you to set those boundaries, I also don't want you to lose what you have. Um, because yeah, I was wondering, like, do you feel like that helped to inform you with this perspective of just losses? Yeah, that's a great, that's a great question. So yeah, I, I write in the book that my dad, my dad has a, um, he has a treatable, but not curable kind of cancer called myeloma. And he was diagnosed at the start of the pandemic. And so really early on in the pandemic, he, he, um, he still, you know, the thing I haven't mentioned is that he very much believes that Jesus will return in his lifetime still. So that, that was something that, you know, as a, as a kid, I, worked through. And certainly the way that I read Revelation right now is is a beautiful, prophetic, symbolic book. Mm. I couldn't read it for a long time. And now I see it as as being a, a book of hope and even a book of justice. Yeah. But mm-hmm. the way that my dad reads it is is very, very different. And so I just wanted to understand, like, dad, do you really think that at the end of your life that, you, you know, you have a cancer that you know eventually won't be treatable, yeah. um, that you'll be raptured? And he he said that he did. And he said that I said that I think that's because you're afraid and you don't want to suffer. And so it's a really, you know, I said this lovingly and tenderly, but that it's a really hard thing to accept. And if you think that you're going to miss pain and suffering by being raptured in the next year or two, that's Mm -hmm. maybe what's going on. And he said, actually, Sarah, I just really believe it. And so I just wanted to understand dad, do you really? So I spent time with him. We drove we drove to the ocean one day, right about early in the book after he got sick. And I just listened to him talk and I brought my laptop and sat in the front seat and just typed for hours and just tried to understand more of more of his story. But I think that his his illness and seeing how towards the end of his life, he continues to believe with fervor something that I think very differently about has been interesting for us relationally and an interesting dynamic. And I guess the other thing that I would that I would say is that, you know, I had a like a book launch party here in Seattle when Orphans mm-hmm. Believers came out and my dad was able to be there. And I didn't know if he would 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 be alive when the book was published. And it was just a very, a very sweet and special time to come up and everyone cheered. And the cool thing that's happened with the release of the book is that he's read it and he's so lovely and gracious and We've, we've really had a lot of conversations open up and a lot of healing in our relationship as a result of him reading it. So that's been nothing but cool. That's been a really surprising and lovely part of the whole story for us. Oh my gosh. I, I was hoping he could make it to the end and yeah. I'm so glad he did. And oh, it was really cool. Ah, oh, oh, what a beautiful sacred moment for you guys that continues. And then also, like you said, you're just being honest that you have faith differences, uh, but that maybe there's a sense of healthy urgency that comes anyway, after age 40, compassion does increase. So I'm always trying to help my younger listeners to like know this, but at the same time, where was I in my twenties? You know, so also <laughs> grace to you guys, wherever you're at listening, but, but thank you, Sarah, for just kind of leading the way here in this area that I think needs, needs a lot of tension tenderness and compassion as to why people are the way they are, right? Yeah, that's right. And the other thing that's happened, I think for a lot of a lot of us, and certainly for me through the pandemic and for personally with my dad is just this building of empathy and understanding, just a real, um, a real tenderness again towards towards folks that are in different places. Mm-hmm. So, you know, with with the book, I do talk a lot generationally because I think that with a journalistic perspective, there are generational through lines and things that informed culture. But I also think that um, personally, the way that I think about 
my dad being a boomer or myself being a one leg in the Gen X, one leg in the millennial world. I just try to, to write it with a lot of empathy and tenderness because the truth is our own stories and experiences and what's got us to today, it's just vastly different. And the other thing that's happened since the since the pandemic and the book for me is, and I think a lot of us is just seeing how through loss and grief, um, through through pain or difficulty, there's just a surprising amount of of kind of personal and kind of communal growth and healing that I think can happen. It's like when you're in this room, you don't want to be in, you know, somebody told me this once, like you look around and for example, I, you know, I became a caregiver for dad. And so we would, we would drive to the cancer center for the first many months of the pandemic once a week for his chemo. Like you're in a room you don't want to be in. Nobody wants to be the patient, God forbid, or even caring for someone in that space. But you look around and there's just beautiful people like the empathy that you find for other people these rooms are crowded spaces so whatever your room is you know whatever that might be if it's mm-hmm. mental health or physical health or spiritual health or all three there's a lot of people there and so that really does bring me a lot of comfort especially as the church can be complicated or our family dynamics can be complicated even if um i don't know people deeply yet just the sense that we're not alone i think is quite quite profound. Is that something that new that I've discovered as empathy is grown, I think. Mm, wow. And it really helps to, we talk a lot about the self-preserving, the sexual and the social instinct here. And, and you really named the self-preserving instinct that has kind of taken over at least the American church in a lot of ways. And um, I hear, I love the line when you said, um, I feel the attraction of the away because I have to be honest, I'm a self-preserving type. Um, and sometimes I wonder, is this because I have insane teenagers whose husband who never stopped moving <laughs> or am I actually self-pressed? We'll never know. But either way, I feel that attraction of the away with you. Um, but yet I love how you call yourself and others to community with imperfect people and that we're imperfect and that you're even kind of calling us to remember that in the end of life spaces and gazes together, uh, it just being together is what we're wanting and, and how humans need attachment. And so I love how you're really awakening us to that. Yeah. Thank you. That's been surprising to me too. You know, the, the thing, thinking about the church, um, if, you know, when I talk about the church, I just mean, the gathered body of of Christians together. You know, I don't have a specific prescription about what that must look like or what that means. I think a lot of us are taking a break from church for a lot of good reasons. I think a lot of people are in healthy places and churches that are thriving. There's just such a wide range that Mm. I want to be really careful to acknowledge that. And but I think that I think that in health, the church can be a place where you know, we're around people that we might not get to pick. It might not be who we'd have over at our dinner party. I mean, I've had experiences. I've gone to the same, I go to an Anglican church and I've been there for 18 years now for a long time and seen many different waves and times of growth and times of of folks leaving. It's just been an interesting, it's been an interesting and, and beautiful community of broken people doing our best. But the, the way that maybe I wouldn't curate some of the congregation is so good. It's so good for us when we don't get yeah. to pick yeah. who we're in community with. Like when we look around and say, I might not relate to you, but I actually have yeah. learned to love you in our difference. It's this very visceral um, way that I think that we can practice and model living in difference um, if we're in a place where that's safe and that makes sense. So I, lo- I love that about, about the church. And the other thing I'm thinking of is how, you know, I try to, I feel like 
orphaned believers made me realize how, as an American, my experience in the church has certainly been quite Western. But I do think that the the history of the church, when I'm in communion, the communion line on Sunday, I just love the idea of thinking of all of the saints that have gone before us and everybody that will come after us. This is our place and time. And so if we have hearts burning for change, if we feel like we can be in the church, if we identify as Christians and want to make it better, that's a that's like a beautiful and rare calling. So I want to encourage listeners, if you are in that space, to to know you're not alone and to do that to do that work. Um, so yeah, that's, I'm, I'm totally going on the church tangent, but I could talk about that all, all day. I love that. No, I love that because some of us do, like you said, either are taking a break from church or disillusioned or some like me sometimes sit in the, um, in the seats and just kind of, it's a reticent sitting. It's hard to sit. Um, I have two thinking type ha- husband and wife who lead and I'm grateful. I don't know how Wes and I, cause we're so different together, how we landed on a church where we could both enjoy it and receive from it. And like you said, like grapple with it. Um, I think that's hard and beautiful and good. And I love that you've had this 18 year stretch because it tells us there's value in staying. And I think that that's something we try to remind people of as much as the grace part on a marriage podcast is mm-hmm. just knowing like how hard relationships are sometimes, but that these people do the word when you were saying it, that I thought of was, you know, they make us better in ways that we would reject normally. Like you're making me look at myself in ways I don't want to see myself. And I also don't just, I just also purely don't like certain things about them and they don't with me. And so you're really reminding us of like how hard, but how worthy community is. It does remind me of marriage when you, when you talk about it like that, it's like, you know, I, I got married when I was 24 and Drew, my husband was 25. You don't know how someone's going to change. Being able to change together um, in health is such a beautiful gift, but it really, there's that same dynamic now being at, at Grace for 18 years, just being able to change with a group of people that's always changing is very, um, is very hard, <laughs> but there is something under like an undercurrent of, of grace and a real goodness in fidelity and, and staying and being faithful if we, if we can, um, but there's nothing super sexy about that or easy or <laughs> yeah. Uh, that doesn't feel great half the time. I think it really is only in retrospect. So if listeners have been with the congregation for a while, if you go to church, like that, just looking back on that journey, um, just like a relationship, I think is really interesting and can really enlighten us a little bit about what it means to stay when it's really easy to go. Yeah. Yeah. And I think sometimes we need to hear how people experienced it who are coming in a little more fresh where uh, you know, and, and this goes to both, like sometimes people will say, you don't know what you and Wes's marriage means to me. And I'm like, oh man, we've had some blood, sweat and tears to try to make this work. And then same thing with the church, you know, somebody walks in and is just blessed by it. And then you're like, okay, this was work. But, um, but I love how we're always keeping threads of self-care and boundaries because we're like, okay, we are called to love others more, but we're still called to refresh, you know, refresh and replenish. Um, and I appreciate those as the thinking type, of course, you know, being able to set the boundaries. <laughs> to be able to come back and then come back again. Um, So I want to encourage listeners, like this is a conversation that we're just sharing with you and we know you're in your own moment. Um, But Sarah, what do you want to say to people who are uh, wanting a relationship with Christ, but may not be able to go to church right now? What's something you've tried to learn in those seasons yourself or may have some wisdom for others about? Yeah, I I think that the, the thing that comes to mind is how, 
when I was a kid, when I thought about about being a Christian or about being saved, I um, I just had such a fear, like going back to fear from the beginning of the conversation that I wasn't really a Christian or I wasn't really okay. And so I would lay in bed at night and ask Jesus into my heart for days and weeks and months. And I think a lot of a lot of kids, evangelical kids in those times did. Mm-hmm. Um, the way that I think about faith now <clears throat> is just so, so much, my hands are so much more open. It's so much more non-anxious um, because I think that, and I, I don't mean this theologically. I think that we do have a, a moment or a series of moments where we're brought into the faith. I do think that there's a time when we kind of move into a new season where there's some kind of conversion if we follow follow Christ. But I just mean, conceptually, I think that as a kid, I felt like it was all on me, yeah. you know, that I had to, I had to make sure I was okay. Yeah. And there was something that was very scary in that, but I believe now that we can carry each other. There've been so many seasons when, mm-hmm. um, for, like I mentioned that 10 or 12 years in a spiritual desert where I think that Drew, my husband carried me. Mm-hmm. And I think that in health, the church, we can carry each other. So yeah. the idea that um, if it feels like a time of disorientation spiritually, a time of darkness, a time of anger, grief, loss, pain, where or if it's a time of, of joy, and health wherever wherever you are um i think that there's this way that when we come together we can carry each other if you're the if you're doing the carrying or if you're being carried you know and so i think that one thing i would say to listeners is to 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 not be anxious if you're feeling anxiety but to know that sometimes things take a little while and if we're blessed with the gift of a season of life that is long it can it can be a little bit and there's something i think I think that might at first not sound comforting, but I remember hearing this radio segment a long time ago. I was in my twenties. It was on NPR. And so my ears perked up because it was a Christian talking about how he went through 10 years of trial. And I just remember saying to Drew, how could anybody go through 10 years of trial and still stay a Christian? That seems wild. But like, actually after coming through that time myself, like sometimes things take a little while. And so in looking back, we can see where where God was in that story and what was happening. So mm-hmm. I think that I would say we can be non-anxious. We can let things take the time we take, because if it's true, if it's a true story, like if Jesus is actually offering hope and freedom and redemption, if Jesus actually pursues the one sheep that is lost, if that's all true, then like, let it happen to you. Let that happen in the time it needs to, to take to have that happen well. And um, and and I guess the last thing I would say is to not isolate, because I think that that's when our hearts become can become more calcified or when we can become more guarded. So even if it's just one other person or an online community for for a while or whatever that means to to resist being isolated, because I think that's when things can become really complicated and, and when a lot of desolation can kind of come. Mm. Thank you. That's, that's wisdom and that's blessing and that's life because I know the research supports this. <laughs> it's like being alone is just not good for us, yep. you know, but for short periods of time. And so I love how you're reminding, um, you know, really try to find a person or people online, or, um, if you have a church, you know, try to maybe rest, but not quit, um, or find a different church that is a little bit more in line with where you're at. But, but I also love you saying, take the time you need, don't rush it. 
if you're yeah. not there yet. Don't worry. It's not a fear-based faith that you have to come into. And um, I think that's just very healing for a lot of us to be reminded of as we are on that journey to faith. So thank you so much, you guys. I cannot recommend her book enough. So can you tell everybody where they can get in touch with you and your book? Thank you. This conversation has been so lovely. I, I wish I could talk about the Enneagram a whole lot more. So thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> I write on Instagram at sarah.phillips and I have a Substack newsletter called Bitter Scroll and Orphan Believers is available anywhere. Oh, yay about your Substack community too. Awesome. Really love, really love, very pro, really love writing over there. Yeah. Oh, I'm so glad. Well, thank you. We will put everything in the show notes and uh, yeah. God bless. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you so much. Well, I felt like that was such a treat, such a joy, such an answered prayer to get to talk to Sarah and just such an outcry from the heart. I was reading in my Lenten Easter devotional this week, and uh, there was this beautiful passage about Thomas and and how he was crying out to God and saying, our hearts are broken. My heart is broken. God disappointed me. And and Jesus has to show him intimately um, himself for him to believe. And that's just how I've been. And that's the the spaces where I have met with God is where God has intimately shown me himself. And so I hope that in your spiritual quest, in your sojourn, in your journey, that you are blessed by Sarah's book as much as I was. Uh, just naming it, talking about it is so healthy to know you're not alone. Oh my goodness, it is just everything. So I am grateful with you. Everything of Sarah's is in the show notes. I can't wait to talk to you about addiction this week. And then we'll finish up our type series in marriage with type one next week uh, and some other great guests. And I'm just privileged to be on this journey with you. Have an amazing day, you guys. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you again for listening with us. It was so wonderful to have you. I love knowing we're doing this journey together, not perfectly, but with love, grace, and hopefully some fun too. If you love today's episode, make sure you leave us a five-star review at Apple Podcast or Spotify so others can find it too. Visit our show notes so you can get all the links from today's show, as well as Enneagramandmarriage.com, the Instagram, the Facebook, and all over the place. Make sure you spread the word. Love living intentionally with you. Bye-bye.